the return of a couple friends and former guests on the show. Last March, I reunited with two of my kindergarten pals, Zevin Schuster and Alex Hutton, to preview the March Madness we were all about to experience. And since then, we've stayed in touch pretty regularly, especially throughout these NBA playoffs, as we are all hardcore Golden State Warriors fans. Peep the jersey. Uh, so now... We're reuniting for the potty train me audience to talk about hoops and all sorts of crazy stuff. As fans, we're just grateful to be back in this playoff mix after two years being off. I personally am very happy to have heightened levels of anxiety every other day. But what's going on, guys? I'm pumped. I think anxiety would be a good way of putting it. Yeah, def- definitely a lot of ner- lot of nervous energy during the games, but it, it it beats like not not being in it, like you said. I was gonna say last year we kind of thought we'd have at least the playoff series, and then that didn't even end up happening. So it's really been like a true two years off. Oh yeah, and I, especially like in the bubble, because if you'd have told like like a little kid version of me that it would be like a relief that your team wasn't in the playoffs, I would have been like just slap myself in the face. But like the bubble was like I was like, oh, I don't have to worry. I just get to relax and enjoy. Uh, so it was nice for the one year. And then, like you said, last year, it was definitely a mess. And so I think it comes at the perfect time, both in terms of, like, the team kind of reuniting and getting healthy and the fans, like, or a hunger to, like, show back up. And, you know, because a lot of people wrote, like, you know, they, they wrote us off. Like, that's what happened. And so it's nice, uh, you know, a little, a little bit of vengeance is, uh, is uh, it's a very nice feeling. So uh, so I'm going to go. Alex, did you feel relief in the bubble or do you have some FOMO there? I, I would say FOMO, I think, just because like there was because there was that was came at a time where there was nothing else to do other than just like to sit around and watch sports. It would have been nice to have like a, a team and a rooting interest at that time. I mean, but I do I do sort of understand what Zevin's saying. Like I do I do get that perspective as well. Yeah, I know I like that you bring up that nothing else was going on. My roommate last night, we were talking about watching uh, football every Sunday during the pandemic and he just said we watched every sports game that ever happened because there was nothing else to do so there we go uh yeah Western Conference Finals it's happened we texted a lot throughout the Nuggets series and the Grizzlies series right now we got game two tonight I hope I can get this episode up before game two happens but regardless we are recording after game one happened where the Warriors defeated Dallas Mavericks, 112 to 87. It kind of felt like a classic Warriors game one blowout, even though you know the series itself is going to be wildly competitive. Uh, Just kind of everything went right for them on their home floor. We didn't necessarily expect to get home court for game one since the Mavericks upset the Suns. Seven different Warriors scored in double figures. The five starters plus Jordan Poole and Otto Porter. Andrew Wiggins had his playoff career high in points with 19. Meanwhile, Luka Doncic had his scoring low in these playoffs. He had 20, I think only two in the second half because he had a lot in the first half. But uh, obviously it's just one game. And given both the fact that the Mavericks just came off an emotional seven-game series and the fact that they've lost every single game one in these playoffs so far, there's a long way to go. But... I want to talk about some initial takeaways. I'll go to you first, Zevin. You got any initial takeaways after game one, kind of getting to see both teams play in that sort of feel-out game? Well, first of all, we cannot pass up this opportunity to just make so much fun of Chris Paul. Uh, We we can't just let that opportunity just pass us by 
that would be uh, you would be an irresponsible host and we would be just irresponsible guests just let such a golden no pun intended wonderful opportunity just like sit on the sidelines and not mention it so I just quick 30 second aside uh, God that was so hilarious uh, I think Alex and I we have what we call the uh, forbidden four but LeBron uh, Harden, uh, uh, irre irredeemable four irredeemable four sorry uh, LeBron Harden Chris Paul Beverly right Although Beverly, 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 Beverly's the fifth. It's like a four plus one. Beverly's the fifth. Russell Westbrook. Wait, who, who, who's, your, who's your fourth? Uh, Westbrook. Okay. Yeah. But like the, the the big three, the big three Musketeers, right? LeBron, Chris Paul, Harden. And so, like we all know, like all the hype the Suns are getting this year. Like, like I did think they'd be. Well, I actually picked the Mavericks to win. But like going into the playoffs, I thought the Suns would get to the conference finals. Uh, and so to have this, uh, the Suns team have that much hype. Uh, people just to be penciling them in as such like a shoe in and then for, for not only for them to lose, but for them to just be cooked, housed, uh, dominated, embarrassed, humiliated was just like so great. Uh, yeah. And in terms of the Warriors Mavericks, I think, you know, sort of stumbling into home court a little bit. I mean, again, the Warriors had to win the last five games of the regular season just to, you know, be one game up on the map. So we almost didn't have home court for this. Like we would have had to play the Suns in the second round instead of Memphis. Um, but in terms of the takeaways, yeah, I mean, like you said, it's early feel-out game, all the caveats that you mentioned. Uh, but, I mean, I think there's a lot that we still can take away. I mean, the Mavericks, you know, they're, they, they, like, they haven't played us in the playoffs before. It's not like the Cavs where they play us every year, or the Rockets where they play us every year. So I think it's going to take them a little bit to get used to all the movement. You know, I think Luca is used to resting a bit on, on defense. And so, you know, we'll see. I'm always fascinated because, you know, we don't necessarily watch every single team like a ton. And so, you know, off-ball defensive IQ is just not something that you really have to worry about unless you're playing the Warriors. And so I would imagine by, like, game three or four, uh, they'll get into it. Uh, like, the, the Mavericks will start to get a hang, a hang on it. But also, you know, uh, the Warriors are still without uh, GP2, like Iguodala. So I would imagine Luca's going to have a few huge games. Um, so, I, I mean, I picked the Warriors in seven before. I think Alex, you did too. So, I'm not too – I'm never going to overreact to one game. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the Warriors are a really hard team to, like, adjust to at, at the start. Like you said, a vintage game, but I think that was a good way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Warriors in seven is sort of where I was at too. I think that that's kind of the it's – a, it's a sensible pick, feeling like it's a really even series and that you slightly favor the team that, A, we're rooting for, and, B, <laughs> that's the beast. So, yeah, but pace was an interesting thing you mentioned, too, because Dallas was one of the more slower-moving offenses in the league, especially among the good teams. And meanwhile, we all know the Warriors like to push it up the floor. It doesn't have to be in Steph Curry's hands to get it up the floor so they could just quickly inbound and go. Uh, Alex, what do you got from game one? Yeah, I mean, I think you what you really saw in this game, among other things, was how many guys the Warriors have who can – like make the right pass and make the right decisions with the ball and understand the the motion of the offense and how it sort of naturally flows. And you were able, they were able to catch the Mavericks sort of sleeping on defense, moving a little bit slowly. And then their their defense. I mean, we we talk about their their offense and how high octane it can be, but they've they've won. They've established their dominance with defense. They've always been a defense first team, and the defense has led into the offense. And I think you saw that last night where they were they were playing they were playing smart and making the right decisions and kind of moving and you know rotating to the right guys and daring the right guys to shoot and things like that. And I think when, when you have, when you have all of that, that's going to lead to what we saw last night. I mean, cause a lot of things were clicking where they were taking care of the ball relatively well, obviously turnovers have been a huge problem for them in these playoffs. And that was a lot better in game one. 
Um, and so that kind of led to the dominance of the win. But what I will say is if there's any team in the league that's not going to get worried by this result, it's the Mavericks because they've been here before. They've gotten blown out in multiple games in these playoffs and they bounced back and obviously won two series already. And they're not going to get worried. Luca is not going to get worried by this performance. He, he's one of the most confident players in the league. He knows exactly what he's capable of. So I, I fully expect them to, to bounce back and make this a very competitive series. Uh, I just want to give a quick shout out to Steve Kerr. Like in the first quarter alone, like box and one zone, like uh, one, two, two, one, three, one. Like he was on his full, I know you'll appreciate this. He was on his full back ballot check in. So I know Alex and I, we've just, you know, I've been annoyed a little with, with Kerr at times, <clears throat> Damian Lee, but uh, I just want to, got I forgot to mention that Kerr was, yeah, chef's kiss, see that? Uh, he, Kerr was great. I am glad you mentioned Steve Kerr because, you know, obviously back to Alex's point with Luca being able to respond, it is so rare that you see someone of that age have such poise at that level. He's a 23-year-old superstar and we just feel like there's no doubt he's going to bounce back. And like he's had eight years worth of playoff experience and not three. This is the first time he's even won a playoff series. And it's scary. Uh, back to the Steve Kerr point you just made. I thought that uh, after game two against the Grizzlies series in which the Warriors lost, he kept talking about shot selection. I thought that was something that looked really nice in this game one against the Mavericks. Uh, interesting to mention because, you know, Warriors responded nicely in game three against the Grizzlies. Then Kerr was out due to COVID. So he missed the final three games of that series. Then finally returns and the shot selection was looking good. Uh, obviously those 12 quarters without Steve Kerr, I would say 10 of those were very hard to watch. I'm thankful that the team has been there before and found a way to gut out two of those games. But uh, Memphis was really annoying in a way that I completely respect, especially losing their star player and all. So uh, to get your head coach back and see the adjustments he made, obviously nice. But, you know, there's another head coach who was a pretty brilliant basketball player named Jason Kidd, who's in charge of Dallas. And uh, in terms of just looking ahead to the rest of the series, so I was listening to Jalen and Jacoby talk earlier in the week about how Steph Curry was double teamed on pick plays by the Mavericks more than any other opponent he faced this season. I think in the three games, it was Dallas number one, and then both the Sixers in the next two, um, you know, he was such a brilliant and dynamic point guard as a player that he understands what it means to take away a team's best player and or floor general from the game. I mean, you saw what happened to Chris Paul in the last four games of that Phoenix series. So if the Warriors are shooting it hot, I think the Mavericks are going to be in trouble regardless of what they do. But if they're not, and they look a little shaky, then all of a sudden it's a different game where Steph Curry has to work extra hard to move off the ball, get those kind of shots. You probably need Draymond Green to be shooting more, which is something we've seen him do less and less over his career. Um, you know, I can ramble on and on about the rest of the series. I guess I'll go back to you first, Devin. So, you know, game one, total feel-out game. But we expect this to go, you know, six, possibly the full seven. And there's going to be a lot of adjustments along the way. What are some things that you're looking for, either just as a concerned fan or just a curious basketball guy? Yeah, well, I think you made some good points. I think kids very aggressive but he's not like reckless like if, if you watch this great um youtube channel called thinking basketball and he sort of i was watching it and he made the point where 
Like, so the Suns were hunting Luka on defense. And the way uh, Jay Zahid was able to kind of adjust his defense made it so Luka wasn't hunted. So he would, like, come out onto pick and rolls and, like, hedge, but then just sprint back to his man. Or, like, you know, just subtle things that, like, the average fan w- wouldn't see. And so he, he's, he's very tactical. And I think he, he knows what Seth was looking at because that's what he used to look at. And so he knows probably what slowed him down and so how it's going to slow down Seth. The thing is, though, in three of the uh, – you said the Jalen and Jacoby thing, right, where they were double te- – Mavs double-teamed Seth more than any other team. Yeah. Um, and so I believe, if I'm not correct, Draymond didn't play in two or three of those games. And so it's it's it much harder to trap Seth when the guy who, who he's going to, like, outlet the ball to is like, mostly a good decision-maker except for, like, five games last series. But um, so th- that is a, a one advantage. Also, Clay didn't play in two of the games, and one of the games he did play was like within a few weeks of his of his coming back. And so that was one of the things that just coming into the playoffs is we just the Warriors, Seth Clay and Dre had played eleven minutes together, so we, there was just a lot of unknown. And like Seth was just coming in off a of foot injury, and so who knows how that like. So there's just a lot of unknown, and so I think uh, kid's very smart, but he also didn't really have to play this like. Like, like specific Warriors team. And it almost gives them like an advantage. Like I know like, we all love football here. And I'm sure your dad has talked to many people where it's like, well, got to have the film on this guy. You know, now it's a whole offseason of film. But there isn't really any film on the Warriors because they weren't like together for the whole regular season. So I'm curious how he adjusts because, you know, the Mavs generally have like switchable defenders. Like that's what worries me about if we play the Celtics or like the Rockets from a few years ago. They didn't need to trap stuff. They could just switch and just make him go ISO. Which he's good at, but like Warriors, they love to just chaos you, run you around. But like you can't switch out Luca on Steph because he'll get cooked, or like Berton. So can't really do that. If you know, if, if they trap Steph, then Draymond kind of has his pick of the litter. So I'm curious. I mean, kid's really smart. I'm curious what he's gonna do. Um, I mean, personally, I was just going through it. I was like, if I were them, like, what would I do? And I don't really have any answers. I just think, I mean, they're just gonna gonna have to shoot better. That's pretty much that's their adjustment. I mean, they missed. I think I saw in Saturday news they missed like. Well, I think Alex used to send the number. It was like 40-something open or wide open or I forget what the classification is. So, to me, the Mavericks are just going to have to shoot better because, yeah, I, I don't know defensively what they can do. If, uh, you know, I guess they can keep trapping stuff. But also, I mean, this isn't a great thing for me to say, but, like, Seth has. He hasn't been shooting the ball as well this year. And so maybe the Mavericks just like, hey, you know what, Seth? Let's see if you still can make a bunch of tough shots. Like, maybe they'll make him prove it. Like, who knows? So, because the Mavs just don't have the defensive personnel to just switch, so they they they're either going to have to trap or just make Steph go nuclear, which I think he still has the capability of. But like, you know, we'll see. There's some detractors out there. So, who knows? Yeah, and I mean, you know, the Warriors. You mentioned the trapping, and the Warriors don't don't mind that. Assuming Steph can make the make the pass, they love playing four on three. They don't mind putting the ball in Draymond's hands and getting that four on three situation where Draymond drives and kick or whatever. And Draymond did, to his credit, look for his shot more in game in game one. scored scored I think twelve points, which is a little bit more than we typically get from him. So like that was that was good to see. And then you mentioned the the Mavericks getting all those open looks. I think, I think you can kind of look at that from either perspective, where the Mavericks can say we had all these open shots, we just got to hit them, and the Warriors can say, well, if we you know just tighten that up a little bit more. I mean, look how good our defense was already, and if we can just you know put that together a little, a little bit more, we can be that much better so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see like you mentioned kid has been very good with adjustments these whole playoffs I mean there's a reason that they've you know been been down in series before and managed to come back from the win both of them 
And I mean, the coaching has been a huge part of that. I don't know if you guys like saw that, um, that like that video that got released with TNT where a kid was wearing the mic and he was like yelling out all these instructions yeah. in game. I mean, I think that really highlights awesome content. That was great. Fantastic content. I think it highlights his, his skill as a coach. And I'm, I'm interested to see like sort of how things uh, might change in, in the game tonight. Yeah, totally. And then I guess this isn't really relevant for the game tonight, but the next two and then game six would be something I noticed in the Grizzly series is a lot of those role players, the D'Anthony Melton, Zaire Williams, uh, Dylan Brooks. I mean, I guess he was a starter, but uh, you know, those type of players were significantly better in front of their home crowd. And I kind of expect the same thing from the Mavericks. Jalen Brunson did not have a good game one. Reggie Bullock struggled. Spencer Dinwiddie had a couple spurts, but by then it was a little late. A lot of that had to do with the Warriors defense. A lot of that had to do with what you just said, which was Mavericks not making open shots. They took 48 threes, made 11. I expect them to take a similar number of threes in the rest of this game when they're playing sort of that five out. I know Steve Kerr talked about how there were some similarities between the Rockets from a few years back and the Mavericks now in their five out offense. And then one dynamic scorer who you can is virtually unstoppable and can get a shot off. Um, so that's just another thing I'm kind of curious to look at, you know, and then on the Warriors side, turning the ball over has been a huge issue. Uh, Alex mentioned that they did a way better job of that game one finished with 15 total, I think only six in the first half. So a lot of those were when the Warriors started pulling ahead and it wasn't as big of a deal, but in their last seven games, so just not counting the Nuggets series, they are averaging 17.4 turnovers per game, which is about two and a half Ooh. more than their regular season average of 15. And their regular season average was second highest in the league, only behind Houston, who's getting the number, what, three pick in the draft? Yeah, I think you need Ben Carroll probably, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so and one thing too, though, one, one thing too, I mean, 17 turnovers. My goodness, gosh, I definitely you said it was Memphis was annoying. Got yeah, some of those games, man, I was ready to pull my freaking hair out. Uh, yeah, you know what's interesting though, too, is like, yeah, I think you mentioned the, the, the Mike Brown thing. Yeah, how much do you think that affected them? Because I think definitely, I mean, I already appreciated Kerr, but like some of the like some of the offense, even like in game four, like we looked very just kind of scattered. I don't know if, if, if that was like apparent to you. I don't even know how much was that Kerr or not. Yeah, I don't know. There's just a lot. Cause also, I mean, Kerr was, he learned he wasn't going to coach like an hour or two before the game. So maybe it was last minute, but you know, I, I think we, we, I think we underestimated Kerr, but I think a lot, a lot of us kind of just get annoyed. And even my dad will text me like sometimes, why the hell is Dave Mealy in the game? Like, I just want to be like, God, it's just so annoying. But I think, I think we all, yeah, I think, and I, I would, I'm curious what you guys think. I would say this is Kerr's best coaching season since like the first year he took over. I mean, you have Steph, Clay, and Dre missed over 100 combined games. Still end up with a third seed, 53 wins. Uh, and then now, like, it, you'll, I mean, we'll see. But, you know, it's clear when teams first play the Warriors in the playoffs, it takes them a little bit to adjust. And, like, man, that's one or two games that you steal at the beginning of the series. Like, that's hard to come back from. Like, you had – like LeBron and Kawhi were the only ones and they barely did it. So we'll see. I'm, I'm curious what you guys thought about Kerr's absence, because I think going into that, you know, I, I didn't think it was going to be a huge loss, at least in the short term. And clearly, 
clearly it had meant something. So I'm curious what you guys think. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely he's definitely been better this season. I would say just like like you mentioned, missing all those games and still sort of constantly keeping them afloat and at the top of the conference. Obviously, there were a couple rough patches in there when when guys were injured, but managed to bounce back from those very nicely. I think going back to the to the thing about turnovers, I think what the key for them is and has been this whole playoffs is just playing playing deliberately, not not slow necessarily, but just being careful and not trying to go a billion miles an hour on every single play. I mean, I think that's where you see a lot of the the issues come up, like on those plays where Draymond gets the ball and just immediately sprints down the court in a like a two on four situation and throws a pass out of bounds. I mean. I mean, I think if if I if we if we did a shot every time that happened, we'd be we'd be passed out by now. Um, so yeah. <laughs> I think we just like trying like to avoid stuff like that and just slowing it down a little bit, not just flinging a pass right away. And if you can, if they can do that, they that's where the turnover issues will will stop. Because I think you saw that like towards the end of a couple of games, the Memphis series, like they would have issues with that with that sort of thing all game. And then come the fourth quarter would stop doing that and start slowing down and looking really looking more carefully for the right pass. And that's when the turnover issues would subside. I agree. Yeah, I think an interesting also, point. Really quick. Okay. I was going to yeah, say, sorry. going back to, uh, you know, Steve Kerr and the turnovers and everything is like, you know, I don't want to be like Mr. Steve Kerr over here, but I think you said much better coaching season this year. Let's not forget he had way better players this year with him too. I mean, you look at the roster last no year. No doubt. Outside of Steph Curry and Draymond and Wiggins, and by the way, quick aside, I just want to say, because last year I was so anti-Wiggins, just frustrated the living crap out of me all the time. He's been fantastic. Unreal, unreal. Against the Grizzlies when no one else was playing well. His defense was great. I think he's been really, really solid. Uh, And it's nice when he doesn't have to be our second best offensive player and carry that load every night. He's been very, very solid, much better this year, but yeah, you know, other than that, I mean, Kelly Oubre is really the only other guy who can get into a consistent NBA rotation. I mean, Kent Bazemore wasn't really playing on the Lakers uh, guys like that. So I think when he's got better players to work with, it obviously goes a long way. Um, The flip side of that is that, you know, look at Draymond in those first couple games when Steve Kerr was there, still undisciplined as hell and turning it over all the time. And it was frustrating. And it happens, you know, we're guys sitting there just watching, talking about it, not understanding how hard it is and how good all these players are. Um, so I think that uh, I guess my overarching point here is that when things are getting a little shaky, um, it's nice to have just the head coach who seems to be trusted and respected and be that guy in the room. I think the way we were able to get out of game four and game six was just having three veterans who had been through so much and gone through so many hard games that they just know how to find a way so they could kind of fill that leadership role. Um, Nothing against Mike Brown, but uh, yeah, I mean, that was a big deal, but you know, Memphis lost their superstar too. And that's what happens in the playoffs. Okay, we also kicked their ass when he played. Let's let's like the Warriors are winning that series, like no matter what. Let, let, let's be like we 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 kicked their ass when he played, and the game where they won in game two, where he had forty seven, he probably doesn't get forty seven if GPG doesn't get clotheslined and injured. So we, we can play. You know, I I don't think the Grizzlies were winning that series anyway. 
but one thing I will say, <laughs> I've noticed this, and maybe if you're not a Warriors or a Mavericks fan, this won't strike quite as home, but like this series already feels way less to- like toxic. Like you had even like the the Suns and the um, the Suns and the uh, Mavericks. There was the whole Lucas special. There was all that toxicity between those fan bases, and then us with the whole code thing and Dylan Brooks just intentionally, you know, for like close. I used to watch WWE as a kid. I was just like, oh man, that's like John Cena clothesline, man, <laughs> on GB two in midair, and there was that all that argument, like that whole just toxicity back and forth. And so I think now there's a little, it's more like a, a respectful, just calmer, uh, I guess, tone between the fan bases online, which which is nice. I don't know if you guys have noticed that too. I mean, I know I'm probably on Twitter. For now. For now. <laughs> For now, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Alex, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I, I would, I would agree. For now, you never know what what sort of will happen over the over the course of a series and what it can sort of take for two teams to become rivals and start disliking each other. But yeah, no, some of the some of the stuff in the Memphis series just just got really weird. Where it's where it was like the the, the verified blue check people were starting to get involved in it. I mean, like when you when you cross when you cross that line, you know you've gone to a weird place. Also, like just going back to something. Earlier, I mean, if we can do like a little bit of a non-Warriors discussion here just for a second, isn't there an argument at this point with how many games there have been that the Grizzlies might be better without Ja because their defense gets so much better without him? I mean, like you've seen like they were what, like 21 and seven without him this year. And like most of the players shoot better when it's on the floor. 21, well, including including the playoff games. Oh, Uh, yeah. I was including including the games in in the Warriors series, but. There's, so whatever it is, whether you want to count the regular season or just the playoffs, the record is ridiculous. And all the guys who who shoot better when he's not on the floor. So it's just an interesting argument where this team might be better without their best player, as weird as that is to say. No, I completely agree with it. And that's not to take anything away from the dynamic playmaker and superstar that John Morant is and is going to be. But at least... As Warriors fans, I'm thinking, wow, this is almost a worse matchup for us, you know, especially when Desmond Bain started getting healthier and playing well again. I love him, by the way. Great player. Um, but, yeah, and then all of a sudden you got Steven Adams out there instead of John Morant, and it's posing more problems for a team that has their offense stagnating like Zevin alluded to a few minutes ago. I completely agree. I don't think it's going to necessarily stay that way as he matures and adds to his skill set. But with the way things currently were, I think they were a better team and definitely a harder matchup without him. I mean, the Warriors historically have struggled against like bigger, more physical teams. And so John gave them like an outlet to, you know, attack on offense because he like, Patrick Beverly we should talk about the Beverly thing because I'm curious what your guys thoughts are but uh in terms of like a cone uh because well I mean, you know Beverly I, no one really likes him but the, the the comedy made about him having to go to bed early for Steph but not for Chris Paul which just more in my freaking heart but um yeah, in terms of a cone like jaw like defensively they're much better without him um and so I think they gave the Warriors at least a way to attack on offense versus like Tyus Jones, just bigger, more physical body. Um, again, you mentioned Steven Adams. So I think, yeah, I, I'm curious to see how they evolve. I also don't know, you know, is their owner like Lakeup? Is how much is he willing to pay on luxury tax? Because they're going to have to pay a lot of people. Like 
Jocelyn on his rookie deal, Desmond Baines on his rookie deal, Jaws one year ahead of Baines. So they're next two years, they're gonna have to pay those guys. And then what does that mean for Dylan Brooks and the dynasty that he was that he mentioned before they won one single solitary playoff series? Um, so I think that'll be interesting. Um, one thing I will mention though, uh, just as like as a quick aside with the Grizzlies and with, with the Warriors, like the West is gonna get harder next year, like fully healthy Denver. Although we'll see, they're having a little bit of internal stuff, but like they're going to be a lot better. Like the Clippers, like as it stands right now, my pick to win the 2023 NBA Finals is the, are the Clippers. I mean, man, especially freaking Portland is gifting them Norman Powell. Like, are you kidding me? Like you couldn't have like gotten more for him somewhere else. Like that was like super annoying. So I mean, the West is going to get harder. So I think in terms of the Grizzlies, I know lots of people are saying, well, the future's all ahead of them. Like people said that about OKC. When they made the finals and then they never went back to the finals again, Harden got traded and KD left and then Russ ended up getting traded. And so, you know, I think I would caution people that they do certainly have a bright future, but, you know, like there's certainly nothing is a guarantee. And then even from a Warriors perspective, like, I mean, they could, they could certainly get back to the finals or this could be their like best last shot. So I think, you know, I think people just kind of penciling in, oh, they have so much time, like, we don't know. Like, this uh, sports has a funny way of uh, not guaranteeing I me. Mean, I, I assume you're a big Packers fan. I, I assume you thought that w- that wouldn't be the last Super Bowl that you guys would, would even be at or win, right? I mean, not to bring up pain, you know, <clears throat> block punt, but, you know, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. No, that's that's fair. I mean, I certainly didn't. And uh, now I've had a whole reckoning this offseason with, like, you know, I mean, I've talked to you guys about this plenty with the whole Aaron Rodgers stuff, and it's just like, how do I even feel about this team moving forward? I, I did not think that uh, I thought they were going to have a lot more chances for sure. I think they totally should have had one in 2014 with an epic collapse in the championship game and many other painful memories, but um, was, was that, was that the Seahawks one? Yeah. The honestly kick off the face mask. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Terrible. Um, but going back to what, well, it was almost a great segue into the conversation before I just got a dagger thrown in my heart. But so, you know, everyone wants to talk about like, what would a championship mean for the Warriors? And, you know, what would that mean for them if they win the championship? I, I want to talk about what would losing one of these next two series mean for the Warriors? I think that's probably a more interesting topic at this point. And I'll go to you first, Alex, because uh, I feel like you probably got some good thoughts on this one. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously there's a there's a scale where losing this series would be would be worse than making the finals and losing, which would be, and then obviously the championship is the the big prize. I mean, I think getting back getting back to the finals, I think just on its own would be would be a massive massive accomplishment. I mean, to to kind of have this this lull and then get back to it and then. And then even if they lose to kind of have all these, because they've got all these really exciting young players too. I mean, we can't, we can't forget about, um, you know, guys like Poole and Kaminga and Moody and things like that. And how, how exciting that has the potential to be. Hopefully uh, Wiseman. And, and, and Wiseman if he can get healthy. Um, so when you, when you combine those things, I think being able to like to make the finals and be, be the Kings of the Western Conference again would be such a huge, would be, would be such a huge accomplishment. I think, Obviously, you, you you want to win the championship every year. That's the goal. But I think I, I think there's a there's a part of me that feels like making the finals in and of itself is like a is just was is such a huge part of 
what the season has been about and getting back to that point. And then obviously the championship would be just so much more incredible on top of that. Yeah. How about you, Zevin? Well, I think there's a lot of ways to look at it. Like Alex said, it depends when it happens, how it happens, certainly. Uh, I would say, I mean, certainly getting back to the finals is massive. But I mean, once you're there, it's sort of like in football. I say like, okay, like, you know, if you're losing like the divisional round, like, okay, whatever. But like once you get to like the conference, you know, the NFC or the AFC championship game, then you're like one win away from the Super Bowl. And then once you're in the Super Bowl, like you might as well just freaking win it. You might as well win the whole thing. So I think, look, certainly this has been a great year. But like if, if they lose in the finals, like it'll still be sad, I think. The main thing, whether they win or they lose, is we wanted to know this year. You know, we, the thing we wanted to know is, is their title window still open? And I think now at this point, regardless of what happens, I think we know that it's at least open for like another couple of years. So if, if they lose, it just means one fewer opportunity, one, you know, another year. I mean, Seth's 34. I'm playing Draymond to 32. Maybe we can check that. But uh, I think if they lose, I think at this point, it doesn't have the sort of finality to it that some people thought it did in 2019. But like we said, you never know. Injuries can happen. Clay suffered wear and tear injuries on his ACL and Achilles. Draymond suffered a wear and tear injury with his back missed a few months. Steph's had tailbones in the foot. He's obviously had ankle injuries years ago. He's had plenty of stuff. And so I think, you know, like we said about Memphis not taking a year for granted, the Warriors really can't because any year could be, there could be a big injury and there's just, you can't take sports for granted, man. There's just, I know that sounds cliche, but you know, if the Warriors lose, I mean, in terms of the long-term implications, it's hard to know, but I think the Warriors fans have to be looking at it now that, and I, I think secretly, I think they're going to win multiple championships after this year, but there's a possibility that they don't. And so I think the Warriors are at the place now where you can't take anything for granted because we saw, we just had two and a half years where they just, they just weren't healthy. Almost I mean, three full regular seasons. And so we'll see. I mean, you mentioned if they lose. I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, what happens if they win. Um, but if they lose, I think it just, you know, it just means that they just weren't a good enough team this year. I don't think it necessarily means that, the, you know, that that means that they're never going to win again. But we can, we can talk about the positive implications. But well, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think those are pretty fair thoughts. I feel like when I think about if they lose one of these next two series, I do agree with Alex that I think that, uh, there is a difference between if they lose in the finals versus if they lose in this series. Not a crazy difference, but there is a difference because people said the title window was closed. Even if they get back to the finals, uh, that certainly means a lot more than getting bounced in this series. Uh, I guess I'll start with what I think it wouldn't mean. I don't. I think it wouldn't mean that their chances to win another championship with Steph, Clay, Dre are over, and I don't think it means that they're no longer going to be competitive. I would say that it does mean these younger guys probably have to step into larger roles and find ways to take over big games in the future. Like, we've seen so many games as Warriors fans where we probably felt like they did not deserve to win or just how incredible it was that they pulled it off. And I think that this younger core is going to find – ways they're going to have to find ways to be those guys and just figure it out uh so i'm talking about james wiseman when he gets healthy jonathan kaminga maybe jta steps into a larger role as draymond gets older providing some defense and energy 
Um, you know, because it's going to get harder with these current stars to win four games four different times, especially when you look at all the young talent out there. You said the West isn't getting easier. I don't think the East is getting easier either. The East was so bad for most of the last decade. And then really over these last three years, it's probably been a good six teams that you look at and think, oh yeah, they could definitely get to the finals. When in the past, it was probably like two. So uh, yeah, and I could go on and on and on about naming all of these you know, young stars that are up and coming. We're playing against one of the best ones right now. On the other side, you got... Jason Tatum and, you know, Jimmy Butler is a new animal when it gets into the playoffs. So uh, it gets crazy. You know, I think that uh, if we're going to quickly talk about what a Warriors championship does mean for them, I think obviously it further solidifies the dynasty, uh, you know, truly makes it one of the all-time great franchises and windows. Uh, I think it adds to all the legacies, especially Steph, you know, when all is said and done, he'll have the same number of rings as LeBron, um, you know, and then I think it also means now that these younger guys will know what it takes to win a championship, particularly Jordan Poole and Wiggins. So that's sort of where I'm at with it. Um, but yeah, you know, there's a lot to be excited about, but there's no time like the present. Yeah. I mean, I will say another championship, if it were to happen, kind of turns them into the new version of the Spurs, like the next evolution of that kind of team that was once the young upstart team that was winning titles and then became the the established veteran presence that could also win titles with young players on, on the way. And that obviously for the Spurs, it kind of got it kind of got derailed because of the because of the tension between Kawhi and the organization. And so if the warrior if the Warriors can avoid that, like they they'll have like a very like you said a very bright future ahead of them. But at, at the same time and as we've established has one been one of the themes of this episode apparently you know nothing is ever guaranteed when it when it comes to sports and and winning championships so just taking advantage of every opportunity like you guys said is going to be going to be so important for for the rest of these playoffs and i think too not to get too it's like sort of roll my eyes because like every sports conversation now is like what does it mean for this person's legacy what does it mean like rankings like it can be tiresome but like you know i think I don't, I don't think Steph is a top 10 player of all time right now. Uh, if they win the title this year, he is a top 10, no doubter. There's just no argument against it. So I think there's that. You know, there's people who's like, oh, injury is the first one. And KD, like, carried him, which is just ridiculous. But listen, you know, in terms of, you know, if KD gets swept in round one, and then let's say the Warriors beat that Celtics team that KD got swept by, then I think that just is going to change. You know, the people who thought that KD was better or whatever, I think that, that that'll pretty much be just flipped on its head for good. I mean, we'll see what happens going forward. So I think there's that. And then, you know, we're talking about the Spurs. I think there's an argument if the Warriors win it this year, you can you can say that Steph Clay and Draymond, they have, they have a claim to being the greatest trio in NBA history. And no, no like, I don't count, like, Shaq, Kobe, and, like, in the janitor. Like, that doesn't count. I mean, like, in the spirit of the law, like, an actual trio. Like, you can't just say Michael and Scotty and, like, other Rod, but you know what I mean. Like, you know what I mean. It can't just be like. Yeah, no. Rodman know, was very much a legit third guy. No, no, I know. But I, you know what I mean. But like Kobe, Shaq, and like the Janner, that does not count as a trio. Like that. I mean, a trio in like the spirit of what like, an actual trio is. I think seven Clay and Draymond. They like well, they would like claim with like Magic, Kareem, Worthy, and you know we're talking about Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manage. Like they, they would have a seat at the table for the greatest trio of all time. So in terms of like legacy, as much as I kind of roll my eyes at that, for both staff. For the three of them, obviously, like you mentioned, for Poole and Wigan, like 
just like, you know, for the future and for the current legacy, like there is a lot, there's a lot at stake. Like I don't want to downplay, like, yes, it, 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 like, it would be great to go back to the finals, but man, in terms of just the, the doubters of, of the team, we thought that the dynasty was dead, both for just the historical perspective on Steph, the team, the core three, like there is a lot, lot, lot at stake. And I like, you know, I'm curious what you guys think too. If they do win it this year, I, I think this would be the sweetest of the four of them, just in terms of what they had to go through to come back. And that's the piece, like, and again, we've been so spoiled. I mean, if you'd have told us as a kid that the Warriors would have a dynasty, like what? But now that we're here and it's, we've just been, I always tell people that it's like, oh, I'm a Warriors fan. Cause I go to school on the East coast for the, your listeners who don't know. So whenever I tell people like, I'm a Warriors fan, they're like, well, like name the player before stuff. No, no, no. Like we bandwagon. I'm like, no, I grew up in, in Oakland, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, there's a lot of people who, uh, you know, they just kind of roll their eyes at the Warriors and roll their eyes at stuff. And I think this would, this would cement a lot of it. And I think I mean, in terms of just, you know, we love the romanticism of sports. Like we love the up and coming, up and coming team, blah, blah, blah. 2015. You love the dynasty where everyone hates you, 2017, 2018. But the like coming back for, and maybe this isn't the last one, but for like when everyone thought you were dead and to come back and remind them and, you know, sort of like, Maybe this run would almost be like, like the Spurs in some ways in 2014, where everyone thought they were dead, and you come back and you just remind everybody one more time, like, oh no, you thought I was done here, like, uh, uh-uh. I think in terms of you can sort of divide those three different kind of stages. Uh, this would probably be my favorite. I'm curious what you guys would think, but uh, of the four, this would be the this this would be this the cherry of all cherries on top. Yeah, I mean, two 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 things. One. I will say like I can I, I definitely see the argument you're making I would I'll have to wait until like to see if it actually happens and then like in that moment how do I how do I feel about it um because like all because so far all three of them have this thing 2015 obviously it's not like the first one 2017 to come back from from the the devastation of 2016 and to go back on top and then to 20, 2018 to kind of like fully cement that dynasty stamp like all three of them have like this, these really specific meanings. So for a hypothetical fourth one, I just sort of have to like see how it, how it feels in the moment and then in the the weeks and months that follow to really get a sense of of where they they all rank. Um, but as for your point you're making about like being accused of being a bandwagon, how the Warriors have kind of built up this this reputation, all of that. I just want to take this opportunity to say that I have the ultimate counter argument to people who accuse me of being a bandwagoner, which is that in the first Warriors game I ever attended, their opponent was the Seattle Supersonics. Like I was rooting for this team back when Seattle still had an NBA team. And like, I feel like when I can bring that out, because Zevin mentioned going to school in on the East Coast, I go to school in Chicago right now. Um, one of I, I sat down with my, one of my professors and who knew I was a Warriors fan. And he wasn't like, he was, he was asking me about it. And uh, so it was actually, it was um, Jay Adande um, from ESPN, who's a, who's a professor at Northwestern, but he, he, he wasn't like full out ass, like accusing me of being a bandwagon. He was kind of like sort of hinting at it. And then I was able to drop that and point out like, no, I was, I was rooting for them back when Seattle still had a team and that, so like, if I can, when I can bring that up and just to kind of shut down those arguments, that's always really nice to be able to have that kind of ammunition in my back pocket if I need it. Also just really quick, just again, quick 30 second aside, do you guys remember like when the Heat had their little dynasty or two, whatever, four straight titles? Did they get all the bandwagon hate? Like did the Lakers, I mean, they got some. It feels like to me the Warriors get accused the most of this like bandwagon thing. And I don't know why the Warriors are the ones that get by far the most. Maybe I'm just in my echo chamber, but I don't know why the Warriors are the ones that always get the bandwagon label. 
when there's to me there's clearly other fan bases i mean you can watch the 07 playoffs how, how loud and crazy everybody was i don't know why the warriors are the ones that get singled out when there's to me there's like much worse i'm not saying there's like no bandwagoners but to me there are worse examples and just kind of i mean it annoys me that's all i'm sure it annoys you guys too but I feel like the Heat got a lot of hate, if I'm being honest. I feel like the Heat got a lot of hate. And honestly, I think the yeah, Warriors I think so, I think so too. is lesser so now than it was, you know, with Kevin Durant. Um, but yeah, no, it's a fair point. You know, there was, especially in 2016, when they were a pretty homegrown team, there was definitely a lot of hate out there. And uh, yeah, well, okay, two things. One is we would be such a fraudulent trio ourselves if we did not mention Kavon Looney in this episode so I think Steph Clay Dre Looney greatest foursome of all time for sure no no further discussion needed Mr. 22 rebounds Kavon uh but on a serious note I am glad that we did make the effort to pay him even if it wasn't that much and keep him around because uh kind of a forgotten piece of that dynasty but that's a guy that's done it before he found a way in game six when we needed it most he did it in game six of the rockets in 2019 mr looney uh two back to zevin's point i told my brother at the beginning of these playoffs if we can win a championship i believe it would be the sweetest of the four um my dad said i don't know 2015 was pretty sweet first one in 40 years which is fair having been alive and present for a lot more of those bad years uh, personally, to me, I think that this one would feel the sweetest after everyone said it was done. But, you know, we'll have to see if it happens. Uh, you know, got how many? Seven more games to win. Uh, these next three are going to be hard. And then whether it's Heat or Celtics after that, if they get there, then that's going to be pretty crazy, too. So long way to go. Okay, let's jump in with one other thing about Looney really quick since, like, I'm very glad we brought him up. I was trying to I was trying to look for a way to in, incorporate him in our discussion. I'm glad we we managed to, to get in there because he's been so important in this playoff run. I, the, well, the one thing I will say about game game one of this Maverick series, his passing was unbelievable. Just like they put the ball in his hands a lot, and he just constantly made the right decisions. And like I mean, I knew. I mean, obviously, we know he's capable of because we've been we've watched him for multiple seasons at this point. But it was like just really on full display. This constantly finding cutters and the and like finding the right guy in the flow of the offense so consistently throughout that game was, was huge. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, it's funny, you know, NBA players to get on a floor, you kind of have to be great at something, right? You got to be a great shooter, a great defender, a great passer, usually to get a spot on an NBA floor. Looney, I feel like is kind of the rare case of someone who, I don't know if he's necessarily great at anything I mean he's had flashes with the offensive rebounds but really he's someone who I think is just really solid at a lot of different things and can get you some really good minutes and you know it's funny that injuries have always sort of been uh, a flaw in his career and then this year he played all 82 games um, you know despite being older and so it's just it's nice to see it's nice to see it warms my heart I mean and he's an unbelievable case because He's, he's not, like you said, he's not great at anything. He's 26 and plays like he's 38. He can't really jump. His hands are very shaky. And yet, despite all of that, he is one of their most valuable players. I mean, he is as important to the team as almost anybody. Like outside of the, outside of the big three, he's as important as anybody on the team. And so like that combination of 
of traits. I mean, he's very, very much sort of a, a, a throwback player in, in that sense. Sort of his style, his style of play doesn't fit with what you envision as basketball in, in 2022. And yet he could not be at more, more important to the team than he is right now. And especially, see, we see a lot of centers get like played off the floor in the playoffs, like, you know, Gobert. Like he's so, I mean, we obviously mentioned, I think uh, one of you guys mentioned the, the Rockets series. I mean, he, whenever he would get switched out and guard Harden, he's like kind of like slow, kind of kind of slow. He is slow, and but he's just, his movements are kind of just, just aren't rapid. And so whenever Harden would do like a fake, he was like too slow to like react. So he just kind of accidentally didn't get fooled by it, which is just hilarious to watch him guard, but like it works. And so same with Luca, like he, he does all this thing, but Looney's just kind of standing there like, uh, like I'm not going to bite because I just, I can't, like I just don't have the physical ability to. So we kind of like saw how like the Warriors kind of stumbled into home court advantage. Looney kind of is like stumbled into or is like accidentally a great perimeter defender in a weird way. And so that's really fun to watch. Uh, and then, like you said, I mean, the, the rebounding too, like the chemistry he has with Draymond and stuff. Like I think it was a play in game one when like someone was like falling out of bounds. He just caught this vintage stuff, just like blindly throws a behind the head pass, like to half court. And then instinctually just starts running back. And then Draymond knows past him and Looney knows to set the kind of pin down so we can run around and he hits the little, the wing three and does his little dance. But like, and just the, the instinct that all three of them have where they know where each other needs to be. Like Looney's an instrumental part of that. And I would argue he's like almost now reached the point where he, he has kind of the level of like of importance that we, you know, Iguodala and Livingston used to have um, like in, you know, in prior years, I think he's reached that level. Like he's so crucial, both in terms of like perimeter defense, you know, he's not getting played off the floor and when, you know, he, he can guard well. Uh, and I mean, for the way the system, the Warriors run, I think people have mentioned, and I think it's perfect that they're, you know, better than the sum of all their individual parts. And, you know, who knows? I'm sure Wiggins and Looney would be good players elsewhere. Although, yeah, I think they would be. We can, we know everyone is like their best version of, is, everyone is the best version of themselves just in this construct, in the, in the system the Warriors run. And just everyone is just asked to do the things that they're good at. And so I think, yeah, you mentioned Looney. It's so happy for him. I mean, he's what, one of only five players played 82 games this year or seven? A small number. I know there was like, you know, lots of COVID stuff, but still, like he stayed healthy, which was a huge, he, Alex, how many, how many hip surgeries has he had? Like two, three, something like that, roughly. Uh, and so, man, for him to stay healthy and for him to play this crucial of a role, when the Warriors literally have like no other good centers, like, sorry, be Elitza, but like, Jesus, this is not a serious form. So for Looney to be like our only good center and for him to be just healthy playing this role, it's just so so freaking important. And I'm just, I'm happy for him just as a human. And man, like, like you said, you know, I, I mean, you could argue he was our most valuable player. Like we don't win game six against Memphis without him. And for him to come up that clutch, especially he didn't really play that much in that series before that game. So for him to come in like that is just, and that honestly, I just give Steve Kerr more credit. I think the best thing he's done as coach or one of the best things is always have role players ready. I mean, he was a role player. So I think that's the skill But we've had lots of good, you know, role player contributions through the years. I think sometimes he goes a little too uh, strengths and numbery, strength in numbersy. Um, there's a little little fun phrase. But um, in terms of just role players coming in ready after not barely playing for five games and to come in and play like that, this, I think it's testament to both Looney. But I, I got to give Kerr some props because I think we've noticed that's a trend that the, the, like the, the way the role players 
stay ready even when they don't play and that they just come in and contribute more often than not. It's anything to credit to both them but and the coach to the type of culture that the, uh, you know, it sounds, you know, people like roll their eyes and like, oh, he culture, he culture. But listen, man, like them and the Warriors, I would argue have the two just most consistent and reputable cultures in the league. And I think it, in cases where GP2 comes in in game five against the Nuggets plays great, Looney game six against the Grizzlies plays great. I think those kind of those, you know, these games and series are decided by such small margins. So I think in those cases, the, the culture, the kind of the basketball integrity really kind of shows up in those moments. We'll wrap things up in just a sec here because I know we got to get Alex over to class doing his, uh, his real things. This is my real activity of the day. He's going to actually go learn something, whereas I'm just going to sit here and think about the Warriors the entire day until game two. You do. But, uh, yeah, the last thing I'll say before we go into shout-outs is just that, uh, you know, saying that James Wiseman needed to come back and making it this big deal. Like, yes, obviously he's a, a seven-footer number two pick in the draft, guy whose upside is huge, and we want to see him. But when James Wiseman was officially shut down for the season and everyone was all bummed out, it's almost like a dismissal of like what Looney could be in his contribution. Obviously, it's nice to have extra depth, extra fouls to give, but um, he has been more than enough, and I hope that he continues to be that in this Western Conference Finals. Quick thing on shout-outs, and then we'll get on out of here. I will just keep it short and simple today. Well, you know, I'll give two. The first one I'll go uh, to shout-out to the guy who tried to scam me by pretending to be DoorDash support yesterday before ultimately asking for my bank account password. And I was like, okay, that's, uh, you know, I got to say, it was hard to hear on the phone, so he almost had me, but I'm not that quite stupid i'm just a little stupid second shout out just goes to sunny santa barbara the weather outside sucks today but uh it's been an insane five years with lots of highs and lows and after i move out in a few weeks i'm not sure the next time i'll be back here for an extended period of time all right so we we, we had two shout outs or two as, as many as we want okay all right so here i'll, I'll, I'll go to just to, to keep it keep it even so i would say the First one, um, gosh, let's see. I would say the first one, yeah, we'll, we'll go one Warriors and one one not. So I would say first for the Warriors, like I said, I got to give credit to Kerr. Um, I just, yeah, I the way he's kept these guys ready, again, call credit to Looney, but the way he's kept these guys ready, again, when they don't play at all and they come in right away and, like, help just are crucial in winning us the game. Like, a lot of teams can't say that. And I think that some of like with the the culture we have, some of the offense we run where everyone is kind of is involved and just in the flow of the game. So I think that's one. I think also, listen, man, this team has just brought us so many smiles and memories. I mean, they helped get me through high school, man. You know, it's just so sports just does that for you where they just it just it's just such a, it's a beautiful, you know, romantic feeling. And just the way they play is so fun and joyous. And so I got I got to give her credit. Um just for the intangibles that he brings. And then, gosh, I would say now, and shout out here too. I mean, the, I would say, I'll give a shout out to the weather here because it's actually sunny and it's nice. Uh, even though it's long out in New York, it's kind of like, kind of dead. But um, it's been really nice to kind of be out here. Um, I have one more semester of school after this. So that's, uh, that's really nice. But um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, 
it's been really fun to uh, stay up until one in the morning <laughs> to finish watching these games. You know, it's just kind of fun to like, you mentioned anxiety, but I, even out here, we have to like wait until like not even dinner time. It's like I eat, finish dinner, and then maybe I'll just do some work or like, I don't know, watch some family. And then it's like, man, usually I'd be like getting into bed, but nope, three more hours of like high anxiety, high intense, you know. Uh, so it's just, yeah, it's definitely fun being on the East Coast where your anxiety just lasts you know, a few more hours. So that's, it's been a fun, um, yeah, it's like, it's, it is a markedly different way to watch Warriors games to where you're like, man, cause you know, I used to go on the West coast getting up for at bam, football is at 10 AM. So it's just a different setup, which is, which is fun. But I've honestly, I've quite a, I've almost come to enjoy it, uh, more this way. So it's kind of a long shout out, but I like, I like it this way a lot. I'll, I'll I'll keep both um just just down to to one I think kind of kind of a two in one but like I know last time I was on uh, here my last appearance I, I shouted out LMU because I was about to graduate this time I'm gonna shout out uh, Northwestern Graduate School and then and more specifically the the fantastic people uh, I've met through this whether it's my roommates or my classmates or some of the people I've met who are in the undergrad program up in Evanston uh, and just throughout throughout the entirety of of the north of Illinois I guess uh, just shout out to all the people who have helped make um, this experience uh, so cool and so worthwhile and such an interesting uh, chapter in my life. I really appreciate all the people involved in that. And I want to give a future shout out. If the Warriors win the title, we should do this again after they win and just, I don't know, drink a martini and celebrate. But I just, if, if they win the title, we should do this again. I mean, we'll definitely have another episode. Maybe it'll be a funeral procession or maybe it'll be uh, sipping the martinis and celebration, but yeah, man, that's uh, that's awesome. Well, I'm I'm so pumped we made this happen, and we'll do it again. Um, you know, no, we kind of ran a little bit long, but thanks so much for both your time, and uh, I'll text you guys a bunch as we just process a lot of anxiety together. And Luca probably is gonna give us an aneurysm. Of, of course, can't can't wait for probably the the ups and downs are what are what makes sports fandom so great. So, and you know what. Regardless of what happens, I think, like, like we said, we've, we've been so blessed, like three titles. I mean, damn. And Alex, you had three, three baseball titles. Oh, yeah. I mean, Alex has been freaking spoiled beyond spoiled. Alex has been, Alex had like a feast, all you can eat, and then like extra dessert. Like, you know, man. So we, 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 wherever it happens, we've been super blessed as fans. I mean, you can't ask for more than, I mean, God, three times. I would just want, I think I've always said, I just want one title. I want each of my teams to win one title in my life. And that's, that's kind of it. But I mean, three and, you know, man, before I even reach adulthood, come on, man. Can't, doesn't get much better. Greedy now and then worry about that later. (laughs) Agreed. 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 Trying to keep some perspective, but I I got you. All righty. More episodes coming soon. More craziness coming soon. A lot of NBA playoffs. We didn't even talk about the Eastern Conference, which is fine. Because if the Warriors make the finals, we'll have a lot to say about either Boston or Miami. Until then, keep listening to Potty Train Me. Don't forget to rate us. You can rate on Spotify now. That's crazy. Go do it. Do it right now. All right. See ya.